welcome back. Uh, here we are in the Studio 606 podcasting room, uh, part of the Museum of Art and History's um, Education and Information Program, MOA Muses, Inspirations by with Art and Culture. Anyway, today uh, we're very excited to have two guests with us. Um, a visiting artist who has a show opening at Moa Cedar tomorrow, Joy Ray. Welcome from Hawaii. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It's good to see you. And also uh, another special guest, Nicole Slater, who has worked with uh, Moa in the past in workshops uh, around promotion and um, consulting with artists. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I know you guys both had a talk last night at in the Cedar Hall um, with our creative pollination group. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I never can get the name right, but that's the third time I've done a podcast naming that and got the name wrong. So hopefully I got it right this time. It's all about accepting and being creative, however, so okay. I think it works. <laughs> so I can just make up anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Hey, that really groovy group that's in the... The hummingbirds, yeah. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so today, uh, I know I heard that you guys spoke, because I wasn't there last night, um, on <clears throat> artificial intelligence, or AI, uh, in the art world, and it seems to be a hot topic, and so we'd like to kind of continue that conversation that you had last night, and... Both from a perspective from an art maker uh, and creative perspective and also how to use it in promotion. Um, and I think both of you use that in your practices. So I think you're perfect people to have this conversation with. But if I don't know anything about AI, so maybe we should start there. Like, let's educate Andy on uh, what what is AI? That's a very, very big question. I guess – how I could answer is how I personally use it, because um, AI is a lot of different things. There's programs like Midjourney where you can create images, um, and there's programs like ChatGPT, which is what I gave my talk on last night about how you can create text. Um, and I was really fascinated by Joy's presentation last night on how she used ChatGPT and other models to actually create and inform her artwork. So maybe we could start there. And then I can share how you can use it to promote your artwork, because I think that was a really natural flow last night. Yeah, that sounds great. So I think and I think it's really cool because we use AI in very different ways. So it's we're going to get a, a full 360 of AI here today. Um, I've just started to dabble with it. And it's it's kind of a place to fill gaps when I hit a place in my practice where I need something, I need some audio, I need some text that I can't generate on my own or I can't find on my own, I can go looking for it in AI and get AI to help me out. So um, for instance, in this exhibition that's opening tomorrow at Moa Cedar, Yay. A Mirror with Breath Like Stone is the name of it. And it's a look into the history of Lancaster. And what I found was a lot of gaps and dark corners and nooks and crannies and illegible text and corroded microfilm and burned newspapers. So there was a lot of stuff that was missing. So I turned to uh, to GBT and put in some questions. So, you know, how did uh, Lancaster get its name? Um, tell me about the history of the 
Antelope Valley Ledger Gazette, or my favorite, what I ended up using in the exhibition, I asked it to tell me ghost stories set in the building of Moa Cedar. And one of my favorite things about the AI playground in OpenAI, and this is you have to pay a little bit of money. It's like pennies, though. It's very, very little bit of money. Um, they have a temperature control, and you can the temperature is low. It's very normal, kind of corporate, kind of boring. But if you increase the temperature, it gets a little wild. And so that's what I did. And so Ooh. I was able to generate this pretty wild, possibly haunted AI text. Oh, kind of ghost even... stories, right? It is. And they were actually, they were pretty creepy. It started coming up with this person or entity named Ghost Human Ooh. that was talking to me. <gasps> and that I, sounds I like a good album name. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it actually, like, I kind of have chicken skin a little bit from yeah. it. It's a little creepy. Ghost human. Mm -hmm. Did that? It, does it also? Well, I guess that doesn't generate images. But I mean, if you put ghost human into one of the the image generators, I wonder what that would look like. Ghost oh, no, human Lancaster, and see what that looks like. Oh yeah, you can go down the rabbit hole, Andy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> ghost human. Oh, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, and, I, and I've used it also for. Um, I showed a video last night that I had done as part of my recent um, MFA thesis work at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and I had used AI-generated voices and voiceovers. So I got these cool British accents that were AI-generated. Oh, and I it does that as well. It does that as well. So there's all sorts mm. of resources out there. Can you make music with it? You can, and oh. it's really, really interesting. So. Um, I'm not definitely not an expert, and I'm not a lawyer on copyright, but it's very fascinating what's happening because there's so much gray area. So there are AI um, companies and programs where you can say, I would like an Ariana Grande song that's bossa nova um, with The Weeknd as a feature, and it will just create that song. What? And it sounds just like her. And now wow. you don't need that much, you know— um, because there's so much music out there and there's so many, uh, I guess, examples for the computers to learn, they can really pick it up. Right. So oh um, speaking of mid-journey and using images, um, I have an artist that is using it kind of as a springboard. She is out in Palm Desert and Cathedral uh, City area, and she does a lot of reclaimed materials and construction materials and kind of things exploding out of walls and stuff like that. You can so, say her name. <laughs> well, I don't know if she wants to oh, to, okay. to share right. that okay. she's using AI. All right. Um, so you know that that's the other thing, right? Is like, does it is it your work? Is it Mid Journey's work? Is it you know? Right. So that's why I'm purposely keeping her name secret. But okay. she's she's amazing, and she uses it as a springboard. So hey, I want a bookcase exploding out of wall and pages, you know, going everywhere, and seeing what that looks like. That will inform her, you know, on a construction basis of like where to put everything, but then she puts her own spin on it. Right. And I think that's what's really important for artists to understand, at least with what what with what I was talking about, ChatGBT, is it's a springboard. It's a place to you can put in a prompt or ask a question like, rewrite my artist statement and then, you know, put your artist statement in or write 30 days of social media posts or Instagram posts based on and then put some information in from your website or your artist statement. Um, there's so many possibilities that you can use it for to springboard off. But if you're just constantly putting in, copying the text and putting it out there, you're going to start sounding like everyone else. If everyone's right. using this tool, it's going to homogenize kind of the, the copy that we have. So it's important to put to understand your brand voice and put that out there and edit it. A I little think bit. chat 
what is it called? Chat? GPT. GPT mm-hmm. named our podcast. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yes. So, so we know, owe it. We should, you know, give it a Mo Amuse. Um, shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Last night was really interesting. We had a lot of different um, suggestions from the crowd and we found things that worked really well, like the social media um, posts, some things that didn't work. One thing that's interesting is that the language is very flowery. It's uh, as Joy said, very not cool. Because <laughs> it, it, it's it's just, it's not like how you would talk to a normal human. It's, 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 I don't know, how would you describe it? Yeah, it's very, it's very salesy. So it's like this extraordinary speaker will deliver a performance, the likes of which you have never seen before. It's like, okay, tone it down just a bit. Let's bring the... And, and that temperature range, does that help that? Or does that... That makes it more sound like almost Ulysses James Joyce, oh. or James Joyce Ulysses, I should say, okay. where it gets, it, it almost starts to go past the bounds of English okay. into another language with the temperature control. Wow. I'm, I have I, not used that, so I can't wait to check I, that out. I want to see how all of this works. <laughs> yeah, maybe after we can give you a, a quick little demo. Yeah. One thing that it's it's not particularly good at is like um, someone asked last night, and I can't remember the name of the French technique that she told, picote or something like picote, that? Picote, yeah. Picote, thank yeah. you. Um, where it's hole punching from these nuns, 17th century nuns in France. And the way she's, you know, we asked it a question of like, describe this technique. And it didn't do a great job. It was more salesy and more flowery, but it, it didn't really go into depths. It kind of just regurgitated what the prompt was. So again, it's not, I wouldn't use it for historical purposes. Sometimes also it invents quotes from people who didn't say that, you know, as part of it. So you have to be careful to oh. cite your sources and really understand. Wow. So if you ask it to create, we, one of the examples was Mike O'Connor. He's going to be the next speaker on October 19th here at MOA. So we said, create some promotional copy for this talk. It's about this, this, and this. Um, but then, it, you know, if you ask it to write a press release, it'll start putting in quotes from Mike O'Connor about how great this thing is going to be. But Mike O'Connor didn't actually say that. So you have to, it's, again, it's a tool. Yeah. But you have to be a little careful with it. But what I really loved when you were showing the social media prompts, Nicole, is it starts to put in emojis. It starts to put in hashtags. Like it's, it's pretty smart the way it works. Like those are actual language, which... Apparently they are. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing to think about for ChatGPT and why it's so revolutionary and why it's so different is before we had chatbots, like if you go on any kind of customer service website, you know, a little chat, like, how can we help you today? That's right. that's a robot. Yeah. But it, it has pre-programmed answers. Or when you call in, you know, you're just like, oh, I just want to like talk Airbnb. to an operator, <laughs> you know. But ChatGPT doesn't have pre-programmed answers. It's actually coming up with, it's not just looking on Google for something that's already written. It's coming up with the language itself. And you can ask it really interesting esoteric questions or um, what's the difference between religion and spirituality? And I'll write a 10-page blog on it, you know? So wow. it's it, you can use it for all kinds of interesting things. Well, I, I think the, the application in the arts is a beautiful tool. And like what I've seen so far and how I'm hearing that it's being used. But I think in other fields, like 
ding, education, ding, ding. <laughs> a super problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem in universities, in medical, and in, in lawyers. A lot of people are firing their lawyers because they're just asking Ch- ChatGPT for legal advice rather than calling their lawyer and, you know, for oh a $500 gosh. an hour conversation. That's this is going to go well for everyone, I have a feeling. Yeah, totally. <laughs> But for medical, um, I, I pulled this on a slide last night that they did a study, and it, ChatGPT did a better job, especially with bedside manner, and was more optimistic and positive uh, than 79% of doctors. So it, it actually helped the people, you know, you input your systems, your symptoms, and it did a better job, people reported, than an actual doctor. So that's a little scary. That's really scary. And by the way, listeners, we're not. We're not. Uh, we're not giving legal you. advice. Yeah, we're not, not giving, giving medical legal advice. advice. Yeah, this All is for this entertainment is... purposes only. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Educational and entertainment yes. purposes only. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's especially for universities. Imagine if you're an English major, and then there's this tool that you can say, "Hey, write a ten page paper on the history of Salvador Dali or or whatever." Right. Oh my God, that's scary. But I, I the the thing that I have with with AI text that's I, is my problem with it, my struggle with it, kind of what we were talking about about the cool factor, is I feel like it's being developed by corporate interests, and so its voice is becoming more and more corporate and kind of bland. And I'm interested in a more interesting, poetic, evocative, weird voice. Right. And so that's always you know how, point do, of how view. do we how do we come up with those prompts to really make AI have that personality? Is that that's a new not, platform that needs to be developed? Maybe possibly. Yeah, that that's a really interesting. You know how like you have instructions on Google Maps and you can choose different voices. That'd be really interesting if you could choose different points of voices right. or like branding, you know, um, points of view. They're like, instead of, you know, the AI generated English uh, that you're saying for your presentation, but maybe an English point of view with the English history or something or an 18th century uh, nun or, or whatever. That'd be really interesting if you could speak in different points of view. Oh, yeah. I like it. How are you, uh, Andy, I'm curious, you said that AI and ChatGPT named the studio do you have other areas where you guys are investigating AI for MOA, or is it something is, that you're just kind of waiting out to see how it <laughs> shakes down? Not, ne- not necessarily waiting it out. Um, I think all of our staff see the positive implications and the applications, mm-hmm. um, and we're looking to use it, but we're just so overwhelmed <laughs> with the programming that we already generate. And you guys do a lot of we, stuff, we especially have, for the amount of staff that you have. It's really impressive. It's a lot, yeah. So I see us using it um, a lot more in the future, and uh, but we, we don't want to just willy-nilly with it, you know? It's like the, there are specific things that it can do that it sounds like it does well and things that it doesn't do so well. So we're through staff, through our engagement team um, that does most of our curatorial writing and our marketing and uh, graphics team, which does most of the visual parts of the engagement. Um, they're looking at that individually, but we haven't really talked about how that would work together um, and of course, in between exhibits at multiple venues, um, it's kind of hard to like find the time to do that, but yeah. we're, we're getting there. It's not that we're putting it off or waiting on it. It's just, we just honestly haven't had a ton of time and, and it really is new. And every day we learn something and then the next day it's like, oh, it changed to this thing. So 
I don't know. It's a constant learning curve. But I, th- I think definitely there. for your marketing department, just writing press releases and stuff like that or yeah. writing a promotional email, really simple and easy because you can be in that promotional language. Well, and I thought what was so cool last night, Nicole was showing a slide, sort of how can you use AI as an artist? And then she was like, oh, and by the way, AI wrote this slide. So. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of slides that were really? written by ChatGBT, and everyone was like, that like turned everyone's heads because they're like, wait, what? This sounds really good. I'm like, yeah, I didn't write th- This is not my writing at all. Yeah. Well, I know. So I'm a sham. Just I want everyone to know <laughs> I'm a total sham. <laughs> no. I know that there are groups out there, artists groups, that have, um, they're starting to get together and as artists talk about, um, how is this going to affect the arts? What does it look like at the future of the arts? Um, I spoke with um, Osceola Refetoff mm, two weeks ago, and he was saying that he belongs to one of these groups, and they're really debating, you know, whether or not that this is something that they should use. Is it a tool? Will it become its own art genre? Like, there's so many things happening and all these, like, splinter groups coming off of that. But it was a really interesting conversation because I didn't, at the time, Two weeks ago, no, I didn't really know much about AI. Um, Joy had mentioned when she was um, proposing her show that there would be elements of AI as a tool within her show, um, but I really, honestly, didn't know what that meant and how that was going to, you know, come off. Um, but having that conversation with Osceola really made me start to think about it. And then I gave a collecting talk a week ago or so. And uh, most of the people in the audience were art collectors. There were a couple of artists, but that came up as a subject. And I thought, well, that's weird. It was a question at the end of the night. Um, AI and collecting, I, I didn't really think about what that could mean. And then the question came up, and it was a really fantastic conversation about this tool being a tool. And thankfully, there were artists in the audience, and um, Nuri Amanatula was one of those artists, and he was talking about how he uses it as a tool because he obviously paints everything from hand, by hand, and he's a big mural painter. But he said, you know, when you need a reference for something or there's a specific kind of bird that you want in a specific position, you can ask AI to generate that for reference. But he doesn't copy anything. It's just all reference material. That's a really great idea. I love that. Yeah. So I last night I was having this conversation about AI at the local pub by my house. And the person I was having drinks with, his mother uh, is a watercolorist. And we were joking about AI and how it's a reference tool and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, yeah. So my mother's attic, and she's in her 90s now, still painting, by the way, She has this giant wall of photo boxes, and every reference to everything that she could ever want are in either clippings or photographs. Or so she, it's just this is like pre internet, pre AI, pre everything in this giant wall. He's like a curator's dream to go up there and see all thousands of images, and she has it all labeled. And if she needs a specific bird, she can go to that specific bird box and pull out multiple versions of photos. So this it was really interesting to hear like this kind of analog version of what AI basically is doing is this just like reference tool 
um, for artists. Obviously, it's doing more than that. But in this case, I thought that was super interesting to um, to hear that. Well, and I think it's so interesting, too. You mentioned Osceola, and he's a photographer. And so I think for photographers versus someone like myself that works in textile and really intense materiality, it's just a different thing because AI is absorbing people's intellectual property, their creation, and just putting it out there for other people to use unknowingly in their own work. So I think there is a very, there's some dangerous lines in this that I think a lot of people are interested in and talking about that, you know, don't necessarily, I'm not encountering that so much in my own work, but it would be interesting if AI gets into textiles, I suppose. Oh, well, you can, you can definitely ask Midjourney and these other things, paint us, you know, Paint. Uh, sorry, my brain just is like stopped. Uh, so, so Midjourney is another platform. It is another okay. platform for visuals. So you can put prompts in that say, create a new piece that is in the style of Joy Ray. And so if her art is out there and they can search it and they, it's part of the public domain, they could possibly create something like that. Or you can say, what's create a painting that's, I used this before, like Pablo Picasso and Salvador Dali. And what would it look like if we made it together? Um, and it was a sculpture out in the desert, you know, or like you can put in these ridiculous, you know, things and it, it really can create it very quickly. Once it produces that image, though, that is out for the public. Anyone can see that and you can pay more to kind of hide it, but it's it's not really yours. You can't copyright that image. You can't use it for your logo. So if you now paint something that looks exactly like that. Is that original? Is that not? That's like, the, again, all that gray area yeah. of like reference is different because you're like, OK, I just need to know where the wings are and right. kind of, you know, I'm going to put this part of my original idea. But there's a lot of interesting gray area around copyright. What is original art and what is art in general? Like, I mean, that's just a million dollar question. <laughs> but AI is definitely putting a lot of different um, pins in it or I don't know, question marks that's poking it a lot, I guess. I'm excited about this. I, I, I mean, I'm just learning about the, the opportunities that can come up from this. But from my perspective as a curator and an arts administrator, what does the future of the arts look like? And obviously, it's not going to take over because, I mean, people said that when photography was invented and came on the scene all the painters or nfts yeah well <laughs> I, I mean nfts i think is the pet rock of the art world but yeah. that's another that's another conversation but i don't think that's actually a tool that was no that that was a platform it's something for, shiny yeah and it's a platform for for these um other monetary systems to sell their their money it's mlms for bros yeah it's not I don't, I don't see that as being part of the art world but this i see like i recognize just from art history seeing like new things that came in as a tool um camera obscura that changed everything for painters and then all of a sudden we've created these you know this light sensitive material and now the camera obscura is actually replicating that image and you know all the painters had again all their hands are up in the air this is going to kill painting and art is 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 dead and you know I don't see it like that I I see that this is just one of those tools in that history of us making stuff but I really think I mean there's so many crazy things that could happen and like splinter off from this and I'm really really excited to see what that is. I mean Andy I'm I'm imagining a show at MOA about AI and how much could AI do? Could AI curate the show? Oh yeah. Oh. Could AI do all the marketing for the show? That, Where's the boundary? That is amazing. How far could it go? Ooh, I'm writing that down mm -hmm. right now. <laughs> We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. That scares me, but it also intrigues me. I, I feel like that would get me through the door and be like, wait, what, is, what even is AI and how yeah. is it? You know, like last night, people were just so surprised that this paragraph was written by it. But imagine an entire show. That's a really cool idea. I love that. Ooh. I'll have to talk to Robert about that. Mm -hmm. um, or have Robert talk to ChatGPT about there it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I also love this kind of juxtaposition of old school techniques and new school. And you use a lot of um, interesting research message, or methods for your like microfiche and all that stuff. And can you tell about the book last night? Because I thought that was really fascinating, uh, the you, cloth book. You might want to first start out with what microfiche is because yeah. we have a uh, lot of like millennial is listeners. Is it fish or that, fiche? I never know. Well, there's microfiche. I, I learned this. There's microfiche, okay. which is basically it's like think of an index card that's made out of film material. So like that transparent film medium. And those are like cards. Um, what I was using is microfilm, which is like a roll of film. And I guess people, you know, in maybe the mid-century of the 1900s would document old newspapers like the Antelope Valley Ledger Gazette here from Lancaster by taking photos of every page of those newspapers. And then it's stored on microfilm. But the microfilm itself is very brittle and fragile and decays over time. So it's like I'm, a film reel, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, think and, of that for the listeners. Yeah. And they have a little at the library. If you go there, they have a little reel to reel uh, contraption that you can put this on and it shows up on a computer screen so you can see it page by page. You can print those to PDF and use them in different ways. Um, and what Nicole was mentioning, so I was in search of history of Lancaster, which is kind of tricky to find, actually. It hasn't really been well documented and I found this book uh, that someone wrote, Lucy Morris wrote it as her thesis paper in 1934, and then li the library has a copy of it. And I was going to include it in my exhibition, and yesterday I went over to the library, and it's gone missing. So this Wait, is- Wait, what? Yeah, it's it vanished. And it's the best thing that you found. What, the most interesting thing. So when was it written? 1936? 1934. 1934. They couldn't figure out what the town was, like how the- the town was named, and it was only 50 years prior to that. Yeah. Everyone had forgotten how the town was named, and there was only like 500 people living in the town. You would think somebody would remember or be like, oh, yeah, that's named after my neighbor, Jim. Like, Yeah, you know, how something. Lancaster got its name. No yeah. one really knows. 50 no years one knew later. In 1934, no one knew, even though the town was founded in 1880-something or other. Right. I'm sure the book will turn up again, but it's been a little bit. I, I do feel in creating this exhibition, like the past is playing hide-and-seek with me, and kind of a trickster archive that is hide things for me and then revealing them again. So I fully expect that book to turn up probably next week. It's the AI ghost human. Exactly. Ghost human borrowed it. Way to ghost human it checked it out. Ghost human. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't be surprised because we, uh, Moa Cedar, uh, the Cedar Center for the Arts, and the Western Hotel Museum, which is right across the street and is our history museum. Which I'm um, totally going to after this, oh, by yeah. the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it is the oldest uh, still standing structure in the Antelope Valley built in the 1880s. The exact date, we're not really sure. And there's also multiple stories of how it was built or how who acquired it. or uh, And then, of course, it had a few fires. So there are still, I think, the second floor on the back end of the building um, is still uh, original. Second, first floor um, towards the back is still original. But there's uh, it. It's it's interesting how many people have had experiences with our quote unquote ghost human, um, and 
I, I personally have had experiences both in the Cedar Center for the Arts and at the Western Hotel Museum. That is um, one of the first things I asked Jason when I walked in yesterday yeah. uh, was just like, how haunted is the basement? Because it's yeah. got to be. And he's like, there's been there's been things. And, and then and he, he told you that we've been on the Ghost Hunters show and they've come no. here. They, oh, he didn't tell you that. <laughs> yeah. We uh, two one one of them the one that's on the Travel Channel, I think it's Ghost Hunters. Um they came in at 3 in the morning and did a whole set up all their oh, equipment awesome. and documented voices and crazy stuff. Um that super interesting. And then we were also on another show and I it was a while back. I don't remember the name of it, but um they the things that they were the conclusions they came to were legit stuff that you can't find by googling the Western Hotel Museum. Like these are things that our staff know um, from personal experiences that there would be no way for them to know those things. So a little suspect about it, but I'm also like, hey, there's something part to of the this. history. Yeah, exactly. There's how the could vibe. it? How could it not be? I mean, especially. Uh, I know we're off topic here, but uh, the Western Hotel Museum has been the hub for this Antelope Valley through all of the technology that was brought through the the um, railroad, the aqueduct, um, even in, what was it, 1912 Spanish flu, when that was here, they, it was the center for all the health care. So there was a tent city around it where they were treating all the everybody that was sick. Um, and it, wow. it hosted all the labor camps for all of this, you know, infrastructure to be built. So it really literally was the hub. I think that in the back there was even like a little pub um, at one point. Uh, but that was changed when um, – uh, I feel like I need a metal detector and just kind of go around, you know, seriously. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot that was discovered in the – Sure. As they – built up the boulevard and then with the redevelopment that they found other things. But yeah, we're totally off AI, but on the ghost human subject, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely history here at the Cedar Center and also um, in the new MOA building. This is a weird story. Um, our first on the ghost human story, um, the, right before we opened the building in 2012, a couple nights before, we were in there very late installing, and there were baby footprints. No. When baby footprints. No. <laughs> across, I took pictures because no one was going to believe us. That's not right. Across the floor. The ghost in, human is actually a baby. It's oh, going no. to steal all of our souls. <laughs> <laughs> but we have pictures of it, and it actually, we all saw it. It wasn't like one person saw so it. So it was, you just saw baby footprints, or like one by one you saw them? There were... Yeah. Oh, no. They were on the floor. They're wet. already there. Okay. They were there. We didn't see them making yeah. them. That'd be even, but that would yeah. be, we would all need to have our heads checked if that yeah. happened. But, you know, we were there late that night. But wow. it really, I took pictures because I didn't think anyone was going to believe us. And uh, yeah, there were three or four of them in a row, like it was running across the floor. But it started at a weird spot and ended at a weird spot. And Did yeah. you think like, I don't know, if some toddler, uh, you know, uh, broke in somehow, you know, logically, um, right. <laughs> it would just be from... As they do. Because they're sticky. They're, all toddlers they're, are sticky. Oh, sticky. Yeah. Yeah. So it, would, it wouldn't start and stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's really interesting. Unless it was AI. Yeah. I was as you were talking. I was. Can I, I was, do that? I don't know. I was thinking about the Probably. history museum and all the different uh, technology that's come, you know, uh, since it's been there of telephones and yeah. um, and cars and TV. And I remember 
listening to this amazing podcast about kind of what people did to understand cars when it first right. came in. And uh, at the very, very beginning, they actually put like fake horse heads on in the in the front of cars. So people would be like, oh, this is like a horse mm. to kind of like get them. Well, that's into... why the power of the vehicle is described in horsepower. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. That, that's where that comes from. Uh, my grandfather was born in, I think, 1912. He saw and lived in into his mid nineties and saw like the the beginning of everything, basically in the the beginning of the industrial revolution and saw, you know, going from cart drawn or horse drawn carts to actual automobiles and then computers and phones and electricity and imagine living through that. Like that blows my mind. But he did talk about how they didn't understand and they were like trying to make an, you know, equate this thing to that thing and how exactly even I, he told me cause he was a big car guy. That's why the horsepower thing, but also that the bulbs in the headlights of cars were yellow because they were making them look like candlelight. Oh, hmm. interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So of course now they aren't yellow because everything's led and that's more of a blue daylight color. But yeah, the, the they were yellow because of the incandescent lights were all designed to be yellow to emulate uh, candlelight or gaslight. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm thinking of, you know, self-driving cars and Tesla now. It makes people feel more comfortable even if there's a dummy in the front seat. Oh. Um, so it's the same thing as when they're first testing it out. Like if there's just no driver, it's really eerie and it just feels wrong, right? You yeah. know, to have a car come pick you up as a taxi and there's no driver. So is that what we're experiencing now? Is this such a big leap now? Because I feel like since I was born, which was in the 80s, uh, technology has changed so much, right? And like, we, I didn't have computers growing up. And, you know, that came in a little bit later. But, you know, still playing outside to computers to, you know, that's my job, essentially, to now AI and generating songs and um, portraits and marketing language, I feel like it's just such a huge leap. Things are really starting to take off that the world is not going to be the same, just like the invention of the car, just like the invention of the internet. I feel like we're in the shift. But I'm also thinking ahead to when AI becomes itself an obsolete technology, which I feel like it will. And in fact, there's these older generations of AI. There's, you know, GPT probably one and two and three that are now obsolete and old. And so that'll be, I think, interesting to see how those older versions function in the near term future and how things fall apart because we can't, you know, one of the things that I kind of got in tune with while working on this exhibition is how difficult it is to preserve history mm-hmm. and to hold on to it and to hold on to even archival technologies themselves fade and become obsolete. And I think there's some interesting creative possibilities in that falling apart. Yeah. But we, And also our memory, right? I mean, in this whole uh, journey of you looking for this information, even humans didn't. The real people who lived in the neighborhood didn't know 50 years after Lancaster became a city, didn't know how, well, how were we named Lancaster? It wasn't important to we them. Don't, we like, don't know. And, and how I mean, do we is, survive in this desert town? Yeah. Is this, <laughs> yeah. this going to happen with AI, too, that we're going to get to this point where it's like, oh, well, that's old history. Like, yeah. we don't we don't need that anymore. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that the future of all of this is so interesting. 
it makes you already go to what's going to happen after AI. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm already there. I'll be dead, but I want to know. <laughs> is it going to be like, you know, was the, the Thomas Guide? Was right. It like the maps? Yeah. It's like, I remember those. I remember oh my when gosh. I was a kid. I, I used Thomas Guide. It, I'm older than both of you, so. It's, you but know. it was so frustrating because you're like, okay, and then you get to the edge of the page and they're like, okay, turn to page 79 and you have to like turn to. Yeah. And pages are falling out. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's a miracle we all didn't kill ourselves driving around with these map pages everywhere in the cars. That's too funny. So will it be like that? Looking back, pagers, you know, pagers aren't used anymore except yeah. for maybe doctors. Right. Um, AI will become the analog, right? Yeah. Like whatever that next thing is or however we're maybe we're we, we have some kind of implant in our brain or we've learned to telekinetically um, communicate. And so words and verbiage and sound and all that won't even exist anymore because we're communicating through our minds. I don't Ooh. know. That'll be beautiful, Andy. I I mean it'll be like the two rocks and everything everywhere all at once where they're yes. just yes. talking to each other with yeah. their rock minds. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I mean beautiful and scary at the same time cuz you know there's some people you don't want to know what they're thinking. That's very true. I mean I you know I speak for a living and so I get so tired and there's only so many words I can hear or say at the end of the day. Sure. So if I could just be like turn on my telepathic, you know, and just have a conversation with you, that would that sounds amazing. Yeah. One thing that I feel like AI cannot replace is human connection and sure. nothing like in person, especially, you know, me coming from the music industry uh, prior to this, we definitely found this in the pandemic. Watching a concert on Zoom is not that exciting. You know, if, right. if that's the only option, maybe. But being at an actual concert and feeling seeing art in real life, in a real exhibit, um, having a real genuine conversation. It, it really can't. The internet and Facebook and Instagram was supposed to connect us more, and I don't feel like it did. I feel like it just made us feel more alone in, in our own little islands. I agree with um, you there. Yeah. So, so I am the scared of the future. that's happening when we're on the internet and for young people who only know this as a life that they only know what everyone else is doing by going online. And before, we would only know who was in our sphere of influence, our friends at school, who lived in our neighborhood, maybe mm -hmm. the, those people at, you know, whatever clubs our family belonged to, or even our religious institutions that people uh, attended. You would real that was your whole world, right? And so you knew where you fit in that place. But now that we have the internet, and everybody is able to go anywhere in like a, you know, a blink of an eye and see what everyone else is doing. It makes you feel literally alone, like, well, maybe I'm less than because I'm not doing that. And look, everyone else is doing that. There's a lot of that. I see it with a lot of young people. But it's also going back to the whole AI situation with there's no emotion. Mm -hmm. like, And you feel that when you read something that's written by AI, it's it's lacking the emotive part of it, um, which also lacks the sensory part of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're right. You can't watch a concert online and think that you're going to have the same experience. Absolutely. I, I think it's just really fascinating that it, it, it can't replace that yet. But hopefully... You know, just with with music, with art, with creative fields that will use it as a tool, not something to replace it. But I think in the beginning of any technology, everyone's afraid that it's going to replace everything. I remember being in radio five to ten years ago, more like ten years ago, with streaming. And we're like, we just were so against it. Streaming's never, you know, it's going to replace radio, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, people still listen to radio or they listen to Spotify or, or, or whatever. They're going to do what they're going to do. But it... It's um, we were just so terrified of it. 
And then eventually it was like, oh, how can we sell ads on streaming? Oh, we can make money from this. Right. Maybe not as much money, but um, just learning to use it as a tool. And it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Sure. So might as well learn about it and learn how to use it and be part of it. Right. Or be part of the larger discussion of like the safeguards that we should put in. Sure. Managing kind of the ethical issues is, you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Very, and very kind of keep, yeah. keeping that in the back of our mind as we use these tools. But I think it's interesting, too, because we talk about AI as something that's kind of out there. And in fact, I think when you're doing a Google email and it suggests words for you, that's AI, right? It's already integrated yeah. when you're using Photoshop and you use the smart fill function to kind of cover up a little glitch on the image, um, that that's AI that's doing that, I think. So it's already kind of seamlessly integrated into our daily lives. So it's interesting thinking about it as something something outside of us when it's already on the inside. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. How many times have you taken an Instagram photo and you hit the little magic wand button and it fills in, that's AI. Like all of you using Instagram, you're already using <laughs> AI. So look out. <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, I, if there's nothing else we want to talk about, I think we can probably end it here. And I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for being here today. And I'm thrilled at Joy's uh, show that's opening uh, tomorrow, Saturday, September 23rd. The reception is from 2 to 4. And then we'll uh, we'll be celebrating her birthday, too, Ooh, which was last yeah. week. Woohoo! Happy yeah. birthday, Joy. And Nicole Slater, who has worked with us many times in helping our artists promotion in promotion. And but I also um, wanted to give a shout out to that. You're going to be first time at the Key Pie Pie workshops this year. So for those artists who will be attending the Key Pie Pie workshops in San Luis Obispo, you will have the. A great privilege to work with Nicole Slater. And oh, and also Joy will be yes. there as a mentor. So Wonderful. Um, this should be a really interesting weekend. Yeah. We'll um, see if ghost baby humans uh, show up. We'll <laughs> look we'll for those footprints. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Nicole, if you want to just let the uh, listeners know how to reach you. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Nicole Slater Consulting or NicoleSlaterConsulting.com. I do give a lot of workshops. I've started an artist group called Artists in Action, um, an accountability group. And I do do one-on-one, -on -one, but right now that's kind of filled up. So I'm really excited. I have a, a workshop coming up with Ann Weber coming up later oh, I in love a couple Ann weeks. Weber. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. And Joy, how would people find you? So I am on Instagram at Joy Ray Art, and my website is JoyRayStudio.com. Thank you. And this is Andy Campagnoni from the Museum of Art and History here in Lancaster, California, saying thank you and goodbye.